Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Don't just celebrate by doing egg hunts and candy and baskets, but God, that we come because this is one of the most important days of the year. In fact, the Apostle Paul stated that if it wasn't for the resurrection, we would just be weak. And God, I just thank you that our religion is not weak. In fact, God, I think that's not a religion at all. It's a relationship. And we're going to talk through that today. And I just thank you that today as we get ready to go through this, that you just give each and every one of us ears to hear what needs to be said to, to us, uh, eyes to see ourselves the way that is truth, God. And I just thank you that even as I share what you placed in my heart, God, let us not just listen to a story, but let us, God, uh, shine a light on our own lives 2,000 years later. In your name, amen. Easter is a unique holiday. It's not just because we celebrate the best miracle of all time, but it's unique because it sneaks up on you. You know, with Christmas, geez, you start seeing stuff in Target in what, October? I mean, as soon as Halloween's over, it's just straight to Christmas. You'll be somewhere in middle of November listening to Christmas music, uh, and you know it's building up, whether it's a Cyber Monday or the Black Friday sales, Christmas is coming, but Easter's different. Easter sneaks up on us. Easter's unique because uh, it changes every year, number one. And number two, it's unique because, you know, you've got spring break, you've got school, you've got sports, you've got a lot of things going on. And typically we find out that it's Easter usually when we pass by churches and they say, hey, by the way, come to see Easter this weekend. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to go to Target and go buy something. Um, and so, you know, Easter sneaks up on us where Christmas is different. And, and I think for me, last year was just... It was the most bizarre Easter experience for many of us, not just me, because for the first time in my life and maybe in yours, uh, churches were closed on Easter. We weren't allowed to do what's happening right now. We weren't allowed to fill these seats, and we weren't allowed to put on a suit and tie or a dress or something bright colors and come to church. We were in our PJs watching from home, and thank God that we had the technology that needed. But last year was different. We couldn't do what we do now. The idea of saying greet somebody was just sacrilegious last year. There was no Easter egg hunts or helicopters flying over football fields dumping out eggs. There, there was no big parties. There was just isolation. And I guess that's the thing that hurt worse the most about this past year is this feeling of isolation, loneliness darkness. And we did what was right, staying home to help those who were in need, the most vulnerable, the most uh, needed to, to, to stay home and to help. But can I tell you, it was excruciating too. It was not the best thing. And I think what we're looking at right now is in this season over the past 12 months or whatever it's been, it's kind of been lost. Many of us have felt controlled, <laughs> that's the first time I got an amen from Bob right there we felt controlled uh, we felt trapped everywhere you go you see and you're force fed fear it doesn't matter 
whether you watch right wing or left wing, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, everybody is trying to shove fear and control down our throats. And I, and I see that what's happening in our world right now is a, a small, small picture of what's taken place over humanity for thousands of years. Because what's happening over the past year is fear, it's darkness, it's anxiety, it's separation, it's being alone. It's all of these small things that add up to feeling completely controlled and manipulated and everything else in our lives. And this is what the world we're living in. But can I tell you, you're seeing it in your face now, but it's been going on since Genesis chapter 3. Since Genesis 3, Adam made a decision to separate himself from God, and he made the decision to go into darkness. He made the decision to go into isolation. He made the decision to be entrapped and to be controlled and to be manipulated and to have his flesh live his life. And you're looking at me going, man, the last year has been horrible, but it's been like this spiritually for millennia. You're just now seeing the physical version of what's happening in our hearts. And I think what's beautiful about right now is Easter is spring. We, listen, I understand you may come from, you know, maybe living down in Florida or down in the islands or down further south, but maybe sometimes in Alabama. But most people go through life over the past four months of cold, it's dark, everything is dead, there's snow all over the place. And then Easter comes, springtime comes, grass begins to come back out, the leaves, be, the, 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 the trees begin to produce pollen. Holy moly. I thought I bought a white truck. It's yellow. Like, what is happening? But that's the, the version of Easter is we just left a season of cold, dark, death. Nothing's growing, nothing's working. And then Easter comes and it's warm. People are happy. The flowers are blooming. We're all sneezing. Unfortunately, you sneeze because of allergies and everybody thinks you are a patient zero. Um, but learn that the hard way. Uh, <laughs> small segue. I'm going to go longer. Um, I uh, was at Tar I was at Walmart, and I had a mask on. Everything I was doing, I was, my I was doing my thing. I was doing what I was asked to do, and I was minding my own business. Mask on. Everybody had their mask on, and somebody walked past me, and their perfume hit me in the wrong way, and I sneezed. You would have thought I said I'm a terrorist, <laughs> because the aisles just cleared out, and so then I learned, man, you know what works at Walmart. You just sneeze, and it parts the Red Sea, and you're like, oh, bet, and you get everything you want. I'm going to try it at the self-checkout this weekend. <laughs> God, sorry. But the thing about Easter is that we leave a season of darkness, and we leave a season of coldness, and we leave, leave a season of, of feeling that we have to stay inside because it is cold, and we, there's nothing to do, and everything's dead into life. Easter gives us hope. Springtime gives us hope. It's a celebration of fruitfulness. 
and it gets us out of darkness. The other day, I was at a store, and I understand that this is probably not an appropriate Easter story, but I, I wouldn't be me if I didn't go here. And I was walking through, Matt's already shaking his head. I was walking through the store and uh, shopping, and I had to go to the bathroom. It is what it is. There's a book about it. It's a kid's book. Go for it. And I walked into the bathroom, and I opened the door, and I hear the click. The light turns on. I'm like, oh, cool. And, you know, proceed. And I'm a millennial, and like any horrible millennial, I got on my phone and watched TikTok or Instagram or was on Facebook or whatever it was and completely lost track of time. And then I, and then I hear click, and the lights turn off. And I'm like, ah, motion. And the genius designers forgot to add that there's somebody in a stall. And in my waving of arms trying to get the lights to turn back on, I knocked my phone off, and it slid out from under my stall. And I'm like, ah, what do I do? You get up. I, I, I said, <laughs> I'm like, uh, and so I'm panicked. It's dark. It's quiet. There's nothing happening. My phone, I don't know if it was two minutes. I don't know if it was 20 minutes. I lost track of time. My feet went numb. That's all I know. <laughs> Have you ever been in pitch black darkness? Your ears hear things. Now, it could have been the air conditioner, but all of a sudden in my head, there's eight foot rats in the air vents. Like, you know, there's like, here we go. I've seen this on a movie once. Like, Final Destination. Toilet edition. I, I don't know. This is just, I didn't know what to do with my life. And uh, I sat there for a while in darkness. And to be honest, very vulnerable. And all of a sudden, my Savior shows up. And they open the door and click. And to his surprise, I said, Oh, thank God you came to the bathroom. <laughs> Probably the worst thing to say to another man. Because he didn't have to go to the bathroom anymore, I'm guessing. He just turned around and walked back out. But I went from darkness to light. Y'all, being stuck in darkness is no fun. Being stuck in a vulnerable and scared spot is the worst. Today's the story of Easter. But it's not just a story of somebody who was dead that came back to life. The story of God who bridged humanity back from separation, isolation, and control into freedom, life, and hope. And we can't get into Easter without going back to Matthew 25 and talking about why he was where he was. In Matthew chapter 25, we see Jesus send the disciples out to go find a place to do Passover in the upper room. We see them go out, they get a spot, and at this moment in his life and in their lives, they are killing the game. They are at the peak. Everybody knows them. They are walking around. They're getting free stuff. Everyone's throwing merch their way. It's fantastic. In fact, Jesus says, go tell the guy, hey, I'm here for Passover, and he's just going to give you the room. That's impressive. That's, you got clout. Hey, by the way, I'm going into the busiest holiday of our religious year, and somebody's just going to furnish us a house. That's Airbnb. Like, that's fantastic for free. So they go and do their thing. Jesus is sitting there at dinner with his disciples and starts saying things that they don't like. He's not calling them out on their eating habits. He's not calling them out on their fishing skills. He's saying, hey, by the way, I'm fixing to go somewhere. You can't come with me. 
They're going, where are you going to go? I've been telling you now for three years I'm going to die. They're like, that's not going to happen. We're not going to allow it to happen. And in a moment, Jesus announces what's happening, and a guy that was with him, Judas, takes this moment to go and betray him. And he didn't just betray Jesus, he betrays all the disciples. In this moment, Judas walks away. Judas goes out, finds the religious leaders of the day, and strikes up a bargain that in a few hours, Jesus is going to be praying in a very specific location. And when I give the signal, y'all are resting. And that's what happened. He walks up. My teacher kisses him on the face, which was the signal. The soldiers jump out, and they grab him. They yank him on Friday before the religious leaders And the religious leaders had decided in that day that they didn't want just to have somebody flogged or beaten or or, or embarrassed. They wanted the most heinous death possible, which was the crucifixion. The problem was they were not allowed to do it. They didn't have the legal authority to do what they wanted to do. So they go to a weak man named Pontius Pilate. And at this season, Pontius Pilate is completely out of control. He's not some mad tyrant. The problem is is that he has spent all of his political capital, and now he's at a spot now where he's about to be kicked off his, his power, and to be kicked out of power by Caesar means you leave with your head. And if there's another revolt by the Jews, he's out. So now all the powerful Jewish people are saying, if you don't do this, you're not a friend of Caesar. Pontius Pilate goes, there's nothing wrong with this guy. So let me try something else. So that he beats him. He has him beaten to a pulp. He has him whipped. He has crowns of thorns placed on his head. He strips him naked and makes him a mocking stock of everybody. They spit on him. They curse at him. They do everything. But that's not enough. They want more. They're out for blood. So he caves. He sentenced Jesus to death by crucifixion. And that's not just a small task because he's been beaten now relentlessly for hours. And now he's got to carry his torture chamber up the hill of Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. He's got to carry his own death sentence out. Picture us in America where we do things like the electric chair or lethal injection, giving the prisoner the chair and saying, I want you to push your chair to this location before we execute you, just as one more foul embarrassment so we can mock you as you walk down the hallway. This event right here shows that the photos that we have of Jesus being 100 pounds soaking wet just cannot be true. A man who was beaten all day and then forced to carry his cross up the hill had to have been strong. They nail him. They don't tie him. They nail him to this wood. They sit him up and they ridicule him. They mock him. They go through everything that they can to try to embarrass him. Where's your God? Save yourself. Do your thing. 
He's standing up there crucified, naked. And for six hours, he hung in agony. The movies of Jesus just hanging there. Just, just think of the screams. Man, I work out every once in a while, and I'm, I scream when I'm lifting weights. can imagine my life being taken from me for a very slow process. Hell waited for anticipation for him to take his last breath. Only a few of his family and friends were there to watch, to support him, while everyone else screamed curses and mocked him. Around 3 p.m., naked, beaten, and bloodied, he takes his last breath. And at this moment, with historical accuracy, there was a massive earthquake. The rock split, the trees shook, and the veil between the, and the temple was ripped in two. And at this moment, hope is gone. These men, these women, these multitudes of people thought this was the one. They thought this was it, and now he's gone. A man named Joseph of Arimathea made a deal with Pontius Pilate to buy the rights to take him down so he could have a proper burial, mainly because he was afraid that they were just ripping limb from limb. So his servants pull up with a donkey full of cloths and blankets to prepare him for burial. They have to lower his limp body down after they take off the nails, and he wraps him and puts him in a tomb. Scared that his followers were going to cause some kind of chaos. They were ordered to seal it with a, with a rock. Not just a rock, a massive boulder. And then put guards to make sure that no one stole it because we couldn't afford any chaos that this guy comes back from life. He's got to stay dead. And these men had given up everything for the Messiah. And for two nights... They sat in a room in shock, not knowing what they had just done. Would they be hunted next? Would their families be killed? What about their reputations? All their hope was gone. How could we, miss, how could we be so wrong about something? Didn't we see the miracles? Didn't we see all those things? Were we just tricked? On Sunday night, Early, early, early Sunday morning, I should say, a, a, another earthquake happened. Most of them would have thought it was a tremor from the big one on Friday, so it wasn't a big deal. But this was no normal earthquake. This earthquake was God sending an angel to move this stone. And it says that the Roman soldiers were so scared they were dead men. Mary probably woken up from the earthquake, and her other, her, her other ladies decided they're going to go with spices for his tomb. Going, they see the stone has been rolled away. Rushing in, they see a man sitting there. What have you done with him? He says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He's he gone. She make, he makes the statement, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go get them. And they do. Peter, the disciples, start running towards Christ. 
and they see exactly what Mary had said. And for the next 40 days, hundreds of men and women watched Jesus walk around. Can you imagine being somebody who was there mocking him? And then you see him walking around. Jesus, if you read, he says some very, I know I may be reading into this, unique sense of humor. And I got to kind of figure out if he like ding-dong ditched a couple of times. Like, hey, I'm here. And then ran away. I, I don't really know how he did all this. All we do know is based on the testimony that was given, even when the New Testament was being written, there were still those alive who could witness it. This is not some small ragtag group. He would eat fish with them and he would talk with them. And this is the story of Jesus on Easter coming back to life. That's a beautiful story. Why would anything else matter? But the thing is that we expect Jesus, who is God, to do big things. But his followers are more like us. Today, real quick, we're going to talk about one of them. Probably the most relatable to me, maybe to you, it's Peter. Not relatable because of the name, just you'll hear the story. Peter is attributed now to being one of the monster church leaders of our world. If it wasn't for Peter, we probably wouldn't have much of the New Testament. If it wasn't for an involvement with Peter and Paul, the Gentiles wouldn't be us, would not be where we are today. It was a beautiful thing that Peter did for the church. It's attributed to him to being the first pope. Peter was amazing. But the Peter in the Gospels, not so much. He was a busy tradesman off the shores of Lake Gennesaret. His actual name is Simon. And him and his brother Andrew were part of a fishing collective at that time. And they would catch fish and sell them along the roads. Fish was a big deal in the Roman Empire. They'd sell them across the Mediterranean. They weren't rich. They weren't poor. But they were a solid middle class, if you would. They were doing okay. We know Peter had a, he was married because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. And I think to have one of those, you have to be married. I hope so. Um, but he did that. We know that Peter was very popular with a lot of people. We know Peter was actually um, pretty quiet in a lot of ways. We know Jesus wasn't too far away. And one thing we don't know is we don't know if Peter and Jesus saw each other throughout, their, throughout his you know, 20s and early 30s. Don't know if they saw each other in the synagogue. We don't know if they saw each other in the well, We don't really know. Jesus didn't walk around with a, hey, I'm God, halo. So he was just a normal-looking guy. One day, his brother, though, Andrew, decides that he is going to be something that Peter's not. Peter believes in God. Peter's a good Jewish man. Andrew, on the other hand, wants to be in religion. Andrew wants to be a part of it. Peter's one of those guys, let me work, let me fish, let me hunt. You keep God at church, keep church at church. I'll keep work at work. We'll call it a deal. But Andrew, Andrew's like my mom. When she's onto something, everybody should be onto something. Andrew decides that he's going to connect himself with this new upstart called John. John is doing crazy things. And the world at this moment, his small microcosm of his planet is getting turned upside down. And people are coming in, they're getting baptized, and they're doing their thing. And Andrew's talking to Peter, Simon, saying, dude, you got to see this guy, John. And Peter's like, dude, just, I'm happy for you. 
I'm glad you found what you found, but I'm good. I'm good. And that's the thing that I think is unique, is Andrew is the one that is the connection. Andrew's with John. He's doing his thing. And out of nowhere, a normal day of people getting baptized, Andrew's sitting there with John doing his thing, being one of his disciples. John stops it all and goes, hey, that, that guy? <laughs> Behold the lamb. Can you imagine Andrew being like, I'm sorry, what? Did you just, did you just tell me this is the one? What? Andrew runs to his brother Simon. Can you imagine that conversation? Bro, 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 bro. You're not going to believe what we just saw. I found him. I found the one. It's him. It's him. Dude, come meet this guy. And the reality is that Simon didn't realize that his life story was a, not about to be written but had been being written now for 30 years, back when Mary decided to say yes. Back when Zechariah and his wife had John. The reality is for many of us is that this is not the day of your story. Your story has been leading to this moment. And think of all the places and all the times and all the things that could have gone, that should have gone, that didn't go, that put you right in this moment at this exact same time. Whether you're here or whether you're there, you have had so many options to be at so many other places in history. And with your parents, my, my dad gave his testimony last week that if it wasn't for somebody praying, he wouldn't be here today. If my dad wouldn't have gotten saved, they would have gotten divorced. If they would have gotten divorced, I wouldn't be here. The small things in life that have put you in this spot. Of all the churches you could be watching online, of all the Facebook links you could have clicked, you watched this one. No, this is not an accident. Peter reluctantly follows Simon to meet this Jesus. We don't know how many times it happened leading up to it, but it was multiple times where Peter is doing his thing. Jesus is there. Peter's, Jesus needs something. All right, whatever. But there's not this overall arching involvement with Peter. But one thing that Jesus, Peter doesn't realize is that Jesus is a fisherman. And he's got his line out, waiting for Peter to bite. And this is where many of us are. We don't have these... We had saw an angel, and we found God moments. It's the small things. Click, 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 waiting for us to bite. Peter saw this, and Peter saw that. Peter does this. Peter does that. Jesus is there. But then one day, something changed. The crowds dispersed. Jesus is on his boat preaching. Peter's washing the nets doing his thing, Jesus goes, hey, let's go back out. You need to go catch some fish. Peter's like, dude, like, you're good at what you do, but I don't tell you how to preach. So it's kind of my deal. They're not biting. Plus, I just washed my nets. I'm going to have to go rewash this again. And by the way, I don't know if you've met my wife but I'm going to be late now, and I can't text her. This is 33 AD. 
So now I'm going to miss dinner. She's not going to be happy. I guarantee you she's already talking to her mom. Gah! But whatever. That's the attitude Peter has. Whatever. You know what? I'm blaming it on God. Goes out there. Fishes. Boom. We don't know if it's an astronomical amount of fish, if it was a whale of a fish. We don't know if it is a very specific rare fish that they could sell for more money. All we know is something happened on that boat that changed everything because Peter pulls back and goes, oh, you're the real deal. You're, you're the real deal. There's nothing like you. I've never seen this before. And what happens right now is Peter witnessed the miracles of Jesus before, but he's never been the miracle before. Jesus in this moment is reassuring Peter, bro, you can leave your business. You can follow me at any moment. I can put fish back in a wind net for you. But you're never going to get this moment again with me. Jesus is communicating to us today, too, that he can meet those needs that you have, but you can never do for him what he can do for you. It was a yield of fish that could have given his family enough money to cover expenses for quite some time. In fact, the Bible knows what you need. It tells us he sees what you need. He sees what you need. He sees where you are. And he tells us to seek the kingdom first, and I'll give you those things. Seek the kingdom first. I'll give you those things. And Peter's response, it's just heart-wrenching. He looks and says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. There's so many more moments with Peter. Jesus later on decides to tick off all of his followers and they leave. Aren't you going to go too? Where are we going to (laughs) go? You have the words that give us life. Where are we going to go? I don't care what you do, Jesus. Make me mad. Take my my business. Do whatever you need to do, but I'm not going anywhere because you're my life source. And see, in our lives today, there's so many times that we are following conditional Jesus. I'll follow Jesus as long as. And Peter's like, dude, take it. Take it. I I know what I'm looking for in life now. For Peter, Jesus was at one time someone who was a talking point. With his brother, Andrew. Oh yeah, we'll talk religion. Tell me your theories, I'll tell you my theories. Tell me what you feel, I'll tell you what I feel. And it went from a talking point to Peter going, I can't talk about something that I'm living. He's the one. Not your opinion, this is it. See, Jesus has been fishing for Peter for a long time. And Peter took the bite. And Peter now positions himself for a key, key place of ministry. He's an, he went from the outsider to the guy. He helps Jesus. He lives with Jesus. He does his things. 
And they have no idea when Jesus is making his outlandish statements that he means, I'm going to die for you. Jesus tells Peter, not only am I going to die, but dude, you're going to deny me. <laughs> no way. In other words, remember that time when everybody else left and you stayed? You're going to get a redo. You're going to get a redo. But this time, the stakes are going to be higher. He tells Peter, when the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three solid times. Peter's just like, dude, dude, bruh, I gave up everything. That's just, okay. No. They go to the garden. They watch the soldier come up. Peter, a fisherman, not a soldier, swings for the fence. He takes the guy's ear off. He was not Zorro. He missed. I hope you understand. He missed. And killing a Roman soldier was not something good. That's bold. I'm sure Peter felt that same zeal that he felt when he walked on the water. Something in him. Urging him to move. The same thing he felt when Jesus sent him out two by two to go lay hands on people and proclaim his goodness. And he watched miracles from his, same, from his hands. That same thing, like, you're not taking this from me. I can die with him. But you're not taking this from me. And he swings and he misses. And Jesus walks up to this guy and puts his ear back on. Peter, this is not the way. This has to happen. Peter's just crushed. What do you mean this has to happen? You just healed his ear. Take his head. In fact, the story says that when they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? He says, I am. And when he says that, they all pass out. That's Peter like, dude, let's go. Jesus stayed and woke them back up. Like, you guys, we got places to be. Are we going to do this or not? The opportunities to run were there. He didn't take it. He saw you. The Bible says, set before him. He saw you. So Peter watches his Savior get taken. And he stands by. And he's in a fire, by a fire in a courtyard. And I'm sure he's nervous. But he's trying to stay close so he can see what's taking place. And it's dark. And people probably don't see him too well. And maybe he's trying to be inconspicuous. But it's impossible because this girl goes, Hey, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of those with Jesus? Nah, not me. The problem is, is that being from Galilee is like being from Alabama up in Boston. When you say, hey, y'all, and they'd be like, what? So when Peter's talking, trying to hide out, they're like, mm, somebody doesn't belong here. You, you're one of him. No, no, that's not me. <clears throat> no, that's not me. But he's a fisherman, not the CIA. Mark's gospel says that at that moment, the first rooster crowed. Maybe Peter didn't hear it, but it was a warning shot. Peter moves around a little bit, back to the fire. It's cold, very similar to here. It's 40 degrees-ish at night at this season in, in Jerusalem. 
He wants to hear the news, so he sneaks back to the courtyard, try not to be seen, and he's no Navy SEAL. Hey, you're one of the guys with Jesus. Dude, I'm not. What are you, what's wrong with you people? At this point, the second one goes. Maybe it was one of the relatives of the guy's ear who just took off who would never forget that face. No, 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 no. You definitely are the one that was with Jesus. And at this moment, Peter curses because he's a fisherman. And at that moment, his words of denial and cursing at Christ, the rooster crows a third time. And I love this because the Gospels all record this, but Luke Luke says this in verse chapter 22 of 61, Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus is getting beaten at this time. They're, they're, they're smacking him around. Who hit you? They're yelling at him and cursing at him, and he's waiting to hear the rooster. Think about that. He's waiting. He hears the third one. He goes, one, okay, smack, smack, smack. He's just taking it. Two, okay. Three, and he finds Peter. And it says this, and I just, it hurts. It says, Peter looks at the Lord and ran out and weeps bitterly. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, we have cars and planes and everything else around. At this time in life, they didn't have that. You know what they had? A lot of roosters. For the rest of his life, Peter's a young man. Every time he hears a rooster, he's going to remember the time he betrayed Jesus. Think about that. Every time you hear a horn honk in the car, it reminds you of the time that you'd betrayed and lost everything. Think how that would make you feel. That weight that pressure, that guilt, that shame, that every time you're in traffic and honk, you're like, yep, I remember that. So when John tells us, I outran Peter on the way to see the tomb, I got to kind of look at Peter and go, bro, I get it. Peter's a big dude. And at this moment, I think he's got excited and started running and goes, I can't let this not be true. What happens if I run up there and the girls just missed it? What happens if he's still dead? I'm, for the rest of my life, going to live with this shame? I'm going to live with my mistakes? I'm going to live with my pain? I'm going to live with all of this? And he runs and lets John get ahead because he's waiting for John's body language to change. And John gets there and Peter's like, you got to be kidding me. He's alive. Can you imagine Peter going, I get a second chance now. For 40 days now, after that, Jesus walks and hangs out with the disciples. He sees them in the upper room. And he breaks fish with them and bread with them. He has meals with them and walks with them. But for me, the story climaxes not on the first, second, or third encounter with the risen Jesus, but later on when Peter's back in his boat fishing. He's got the disciples with him. And I can just imagine, just imagine the conversation that's being taken place. Bro, crazy week, huh? 
Jeez, who would have saw that one coming? Did you, did you touch, did you, did you like, they're having this conversation, and I can see Peter in his boat just minding his business. Because he still did the wrong thing. Peter, you saw that, right? Yeah, 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 crazy story. They're all hyped up. Pete's just doing his thing. John's there. I beat him. Dude, fatty, you need to slow down. You've been hanging out with Dave Gitchell? Like, whatever it is. <laughs> 20 bucks, Tracy. Um, they're, they're, they're doing their thing. They're talking about something. That, have you ever been in a crowd of people where everybody is excited and you're just, your world's ended? And this is what's taking place in this moment. Pete's in the boat. I know he's alive. I know he's the Messiah. It answers so many questions, but the shame that I'm feeling is more than I can bear. And I love just the poetry that's taken place here, the storyline, because as they're fishing, they're 100 yards offshore. And at this moment, they see somebody with a little fire. Hey, I'll catch you anything yet. John, nope. Try the other side. All right, whatever. They throw it. And it says that the nets were so full of fish. Remember, this is the first story again. When Peter remembers, my God, my Lord, get away from me. All of a sudden, the nets begin to fill. John goes, that's got to be the Lord. Peter is not going to miss his moment again. He jumps up and dives in. And with every stroke, he remembers the woman with the issue of blood who wasn't going to be denied. He remembers the kids walking up to Jesus and he said, let them come. He remembers people ripping off the roofs because they had to get to him. And in this moment, Peter was so determined to get his second chance that he wasn't going to let anyone beat him. He outswam a boat with that tenacity, and looks at John and says, you may be fast on their land, but the water's my deal, and swims faster than they can row and gets to the one he needed to connect to. And he falls down. Because he knows Jesus could have walked back out there. Jesus could have just done whatever, but by saying, try the other side, he was signaling to Peter, dude, I still love you. And I still believe in you. And I know what you did, and I know what you've been, and I know all the craziness that's taken place in your life, but one thing's for sure is that I love you. So come home, Peter. And that's the call for us today. The story of Easter is a story of us coming home. 
It's the countless times that we've betrayed Jesus. It's the countless amount of shame and the weight and the problems of our lives and all the heaviness that's taken place and all the mistakes. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, come on. I got you. I still believe in you. And maybe you're like Peter today. And you know the story of Easter. You know he's alive. You know he's doing his thing. But you've been in the boat. And everybody else is all happy. And you've just been fake smiles, but dead inside because of your past. Because of your present. And today, I want you to hear me when I say he's calling you. He's speaking your language right now. How do you know he's speaking my language? Because you can feel it. You can feel him saying, dude, come back. And I understand you're afraid. I understand the pain. I understand the what if I run up there and it's nothing again? What if I try it again? The Bible says a righteous man falls seven, gets up eight. You're going to fall again. I, I promise you that was not the last time Peter sinned. But something happens at that moment in Peter's life. He went from knowing who the Messiah was. He went from believing that he was risen from the dead to going, I'm letting go of my shame and I'm embracing his call. And that's what we need in 2021. We need you to let go and embrace We see in Acts chapter 2, some nuts stuff happening. Cool, oh, fire on people's heads, breaking out in tongues. And who do we see who has an answer? It's Peter. These men are not drunk. I've seen drunk. I've been drunk. No. This is what was prophesied. He went from an outside observer of religion to being able to quote the prophets. Your future is now. There's hope for you today. There's hope for me today. Winter is over. And it's time to come home. It's time for us to all come home. I'm not going to embarrass anybody today, but I just ask everyone just to close your eyes and take a moment. Take a moment right now. Where is that in your life? Maybe you're the Peter who has been realizing now that everything's leading up to this moment. And he's been begging you and hitting you and bumping you and, and helping you to recognize who he is in life. And you're realizing, my God, I've been led up to this moment. And I need, I need to come home. I need my Savior. I need all of those things. And if you're with us today and you go, Pete, I've been, <laughs> I have not, not even close to been living, but I need to. I need to get things right with God. He's been fishing for me and I realized it. And you need to make that known. Just slide your hand up real quick. Yeah, put it right back down. Yeah. Maybe you're here today and you go, I'm post-resurrection, Peter. Bro, the shame that I've been feeling, the mistakes that I've made, 
have been hitting me so hard that I can smile at everybody else's story, but my own? Huh? No. I'll be lucky to get to heaven. And Peter was then picked out again because Jesus wants you to know that's not about getting into heaven, but it's about getting heaven into you. It's about you coming home and being the man, being the woman that you've always been called to be. If that's you, you say, Pete, I'm ready to jump off the boat and I'm ready to swim. I'm ready to give it my all. I haven't been. I've been living with shame, but I'm ready. I'm scared, but I'm ready. That's the story of us. We're scared, but we're ready. If that's you, just raise your hand. Yeah. Ha. God, I thank you that you are letting go of shame. That when Peter got to the shore, you didn't go like, hey, stupid. You're going to deny me again? No. Your love has always been there. And it's your love that transforms us, that changes us, that moves us, that guides us, that makes everything new today, that gives us so much hope. And God, we thank you that today is that day. And I just ask that your love embraces every single person with us today, that your love shines so strong and so bright, that as we get ready to take communion, that God, that right now that you begin just to to fill us with hope, to fill us with joy, to let us know that you are for us, that you are with us, that you haven't forgotten us, that we are everything that you have called us to be. And we say yes and amen to everything that you are and everything that you want us to be. We're scared, but we're ready. But we know your arms are big. So today, God, we say yes to you and yes to your will. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.